Welcome to another episode of Drinking and Screaming, a new podcast we're doing about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Char. And I'm Kelly. And today we're talking about the new movie based on the classic children's book, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made a perfect drink to have in the dark. I also want to say that this is the first time we're recording in the dark. That's true. We are ha- we are literally having this drink in the dark. It's so. very spoopy. Hopefully it is perfect to have in said dark. It's also our first hot drink. Yeah. Yeah. So Kelly made this one. I did. I wanted to counter your last one. <laughs> what do you mean? So my idea was to make a drink that would be perfect for me, because even the ones that I've made recently have been somehow perfect for you as well. So I I wanted to make a drink you wouldn't like, Ah, (laughs) but I would like. Um, I still like this, though. It's good. Thanks. Yeah, you did a good job. I like coffee drinks in general as um, like a nice dessert drink. So this drink, as you just said, is coffee-based with Irish whiskey. So it's, it's an Irish coffee, but it's got a bit of a twist to it. Honestly, I didn't really think of what would be in the movie that so much as I did think what the name of the movie was. Because this is the first time that we've watched the movie and then like immediately recorded. So yeah. I had to think of one before even seeing the movie. Right. So it's a dark drink and it's it's warm and oh. it's for the dur- dark. Yeah. If you're telling stories at night and you cuddle up with a blanket and drink a coffee. I like that you made whipped cream yourself to go in it. Yeah. So it's orange whipped cream which I thought was a little bit weird. It's definitely my favorite part. It makes the drink. That's good. Because I was like, it also asked for like cardamom, which I don't think I'm a huge fan of. So I excluded that and then put just more orange in it. Mm. And also a little bit of coconut in the coffee itself as like the sh- the sugar, like the sweetener of the coffee. Yeah. So it's supposed to be like, I don't know, um, comfort drink. As you're super scared. Yeah, as you're super scared, you have your stories. Your sort of uh, your sort of fruity comfort drink coffee whiskey. Yeah, yeah. Plus the whipped cream on top kind of looks like the zit that the girl pops. That's true. So think about that while you drink this drink. You did convince me to put blood on top as the blood of the children from the movie we just watched. (laughs) Yeah. So I think it's good. I find it more drinkable than last week's drink. I don't love coffee in general, so the. I like adding more of the cream and stirring it up and then putting more of the cream, whipping mm. cream on top. So I still get the immediate orange deliciousness. That's true. But then the heavy Irish whiskey mixed with the heavy coffee flavor isn't too, too strong for me, which is nice. Also, other than the blood, which is the creme de cassis, this is the first drink that we've got that has actually been like, we bought the ingredients, but the money that I used basically came from the Patreon. Yeah. So the whiskey was basically purchased by everyone who's been our patrons. Thank you so much. You guys are the best. You're helping our drinking problem where we record (laughs) ourselves drinking for the world to listen to. We did finally get a sponsorship with Odd Society Spirits, though. We use their creme de cassis. Yeah, we did. How do you say it, Kelly? Creme de cassis. Yeah. It's been a while since we've used it. Yeah. And now we are officially sponsored by them, so we can say it. Pew, pew, pew. Woo. 
So this week we watched Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Sorry, I was going to I forgot to mention that the drink is called uh, Coffee to Sip in the Dark, which is what I called it. I forgot to actually mention the name. It premiered on August 9th, 2019, which was yesterday as of us recording this episode. It's directed by Andre Overdahl. Uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm saying that it's right. It's got one of those circles. It has a very interesting character for the O, which is not an O. It's an O with a cross. Yeah. Overdahl. Sure. Overdahl. One of those things. And it's adapted by the novel of the same name, which was written by Alvin Schwartz. Is it actually a novel? I always thought it was like a flip book. I never actually owned one, so I didn't know. Yeah. The reason I really wanted to watch this movie was because I was so excited because I had read the book when I was young. Mm. So I associate it with my cottage, my rustic, tiny cottage. We had a few children's books there, and one of them was Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. And I used to read it. In the dark. So what you're saying is that you would sit in your cottage when it's cold and dark, reading scary stories to read in the dark while sipping your Irish coffee with orange on top of it. Definitely, while I was eight years old. Sounds perfect. I mean, it's Montreal. It's like the wild east. Yeah. I mean, the cottage is north from there, so technically not Montreal, but still. Yeah, whatever. But I liked it because... Like, they definitely aren't super scary. The drawings of in them are very um, creepy. And the stories themselves are creepy. But I like that it's written in a way... It's definitely for kids. It's like campfire stories, yeah. like, made to, oh, let's scare each other and, like, laugh about it, kind of. The book itself is split into a few categories. So the first one's called, ah! And it's literally every single story in that section ends in a jump scare. Nice. So it's meant to... You have this book in your back pocket to like whip out and be like, ooh, let's scare each other. And nobody knows that you're going to jump scare them, but you are. Have your friend hide in the woods and jump out just at the climax. Yeah. And then they have another section later on in the book, which is basically stories that are written in the same structure as the first chapter. But then they it's always like a punchline joke at the end instead oh, okay. of like a spoop. And then um, the middle chapters are like creatures and ghost stories. Hmm. I like that that was featured in the movie itself also like. There are moments where the stories were mainly about jump scares, but then there are also really creeping moments and it just leaves you feeling unsettled. So it's it's like they just took the novel and made a movie out of it. Yeah. <laughs> so the synopsis, there were two synopses. Synopsi? There was one that was, yeah, sure. One was teens fight their fears to survive or something along that line. Just one line. Ah, so like until dawn. Yeah. Or like... It. Or like almost any Basic, teen horror movie. Basically every movie. Scream. And then there was this one, and I decided to go with this the paragraph one because I didn't know how else to shorten it, and it seems fine. The shadow of the Bellows family has loomed large in the town, small town of Mill Valley for generations. It's in a mansion that young Sarah Bellows turns her tortured life and horrible secrets into a series of scary stories. These terrifying tales soon have a way of becoming all too real for a group of unsuspecting teens who stumble upon Sarah's spooky home. Yeah, I didn't get that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, here's the trailer. Some people believe if we repeat stories often enough, they become real. Hey, what's going on? Tommy's missing. Tommy's name was in the book. There's no way it's actually connected, right? Okay, what if what happens in the book is exactly what's happened for real? Oh my god. Andy! Stella! Listen, you're in the next story. We're reading it right here. 
It's a corpse looking for her missing toe. The jangling man is coming. So doing the other movies that we, some of the more recent movies that we've seen in theaters for the podcast, we saw the like sneak peek trailer for uh, this, scary, this movie. Yeah. But we didn't see the full trailer, which hot damn. That is the movie. I don't want to watch trailers anymore. No, I'm like discouraged now from showing up to the theater because I'll just see the entire movie. And then what's the point of actually going? Yeah. Like I saw Hobbs and Shaw before this and literally every one of the cool set pieces in that movie were shown in the trailers. Like people were cheering and stuff in the theater and I was like, I literally saw this. You already know. Yeah. yeah. I saw this before watching Annabelle. I saw this in the other trailer they played. Like I can understand getting people hyped to see your movie, but at this point it's like, just tell me what your movie's about and I'll go see it. Yeah. Like this movie as well. Like when of all the combinations of trailers, I know I knew all of the monsters that were going to be in this movie. Yeah, even that one showed the twisted man. Or yeah, the what is it? The my my Tai Doty Mo Matt Walker. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. I nailed it. I mean, even when I was reading it as a child, I just was like Matt Walker. I do that too. Do you like when you're reading books and like a name comes up, and you don't understand how to say it? You just like yeah. And then you start becoming accustomed to like just seeing what the word looks like to yeah. acknowledge that that's the character. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I, I do that too. I used to do that in like Harry Potter a lot. Yeah. Stupid British names. Hermione. Hermione. <laughs> for that, I had already seen the first movie, so I was okay. But yes. If I had read it before, I would have been fucked. Ty, uh, wait, me, Ty, Doty, Walker. Yes. That was right. As soon as you said it, I was like, oh, yeah. But you have to say it like, tie me, doty walker. It's also interesting because I understand that when you take books and make a movie adaptation of them, you don't have to do it word for word. And like you're allowed to be inspired and do changes and stuff. Well, first of all, it's not even just from the first book. They took stories out of all three. Their three novels oh, are from I didn't the know series. That. Which is silly that they made, I'm jumping all over the place, but they made the ending of this movie be like, oh, it's going to be a sequel. But in my head, I'm like, well, why did you bother taking stories from all the books then and put them in this one and then be like, oh, gotta make scary stories to tell in the darker. I mean, it's like they basic, they wanted to write a story and then they were like, what creatures can we use for our spooky story? Oh, hey, that I've got a copy of scary stories to tell in the dark laying on the ground. Let's just pick that up and flip through it and pick some monsters. Yeah. And they're also, they are really well written and well constructed the care the creatures in the novel and i feel like they well they pick and choose and like they combine stories together to make new stories and like yeah because you said that the i don't know if i'm being too purist the jangle man or whatever which i literally have heard him say that word twice and i don't know if he's saying like jingle man or jangle man yeah jingle jingle jangle fallout three because the the idea of the Mitai Doti Walker story is that a man basically pays a kid to go into this house that supposedly is haunted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if he can stay there for the whole night, he'll pay, he'll like get a bet or whatever, the money. So then he brings his dog in, like the kid brings a dog and they sit in the living room and they are going to spend the night there. And then all of a sudden he hears like a low whisper coming from outside that says that. 
Hmm. And he's like scared. And he's like, well, they don't know I'm in here, so it's fine. And then the dog fucking talks. And starts whispering that as well? Yeah. And then it's like a call and response. And the creature keeps coming closer and closer. And then a head falls out of the chimney. And that's it. Fucking dogs. Which I did like. Goddamn narcs. In this movie. I did like the way they made the dog speak. Because as a kid, I was like, well, that's not really scary. Like, talking dog. Yeah. But this one, they made him, like, whine and growl. But you could still tell that he was saying it. He was, like, doing it to the syllable of the... I just I tried to look up what the hell that means and it, I couldn't find anything. Mm. It's apparently based on American like an American folklore story. Yeah. Which you later told me that like most of the stories in this in dark stories are based on like old folklore and stuff like that. But I could not find like the source of it. So it, it kind of just felt like gibberish to me. Yeah. So the author himself, every single story in this story in the book is from tales that he's heard over time or that are very popular and like folklore. Yeah, it's kind of like the Brothers Grimm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and he does a good job of, at the end of his book, he says like, oh, this book, this story is from such and such. And like, I heard, got references making, of it here. We acknowledge that we're reading this book on the unceded land of the, damn it. Oh, Salish? Salish and something else. I, sh- I should know Take it. We go out. to so many plays now in Vancouver that say <laughs> that. I should remember them. But yeah, that's that's pretty cool though. Like yeah. sourcing the... The stories. And then the other really cool thing that the author does with the book is he, especially at the beginning, he tells you, like, this is meant to be said aloud. And the reason that I don't go into too much detail of how the creatures look is because people can come up with something that's more scary than you can write. Like, leave it up to the imagination. That's cool. And in the first chapter of the book when he when it's the ah section with the jump scares he specifically writes like in brackets now talk quieter now be louder it's like when you're reading Shakespeare and it's got on the left side of the page what you're actually saying only in some of the copies all the copies that I had That is pretty cool, though, because then it's like you could be a camp counselor and own a copy of this to, like, tell your kids. Around yeah, the fire. exactly. Yeah. Super cool. But when I come to this movie. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I really didn't like the writing of the screenplay. Not that amazing. No, definitely not. And the kids were not. They did not take what they were given and elevate it. They were they were no Stranger Things cast, if you will. Yeah, it's. I don't know if it's like modern now, but it seems like the, uh, what's the word? They have their kids that they need to get to fill the certain 2000 blank, whatever, 10, 15, 19 demographic of like the nerd, the the comedian or whatever. The girl. The nerd. This one was the nerd girl. Yeah. Cause like we watched uh, Chucky the, or the new uh, child's play. Yeah. Yeah. You could probably take the characters from that and put them into scary stories. It would be the same. But they were funnier. That's true. You could take the cast of It and put it in this one. And, and they, they were better actors. You could take the kids from Stranger <laughs> Things and put them in this and it would be the same. Like, it seems like the casting call for all these horror movies are literally exactly the same. And then they just have to fight over the, the pieces of children yeah. to fill their movie. And this movie, it did. I like it more than I would have if I hadn't read the book. Or I like it more because I read the book. That's fair. But I don't even want to like it the amount that my nostalgia is making me like it. They did do a good job of making it feel like it was for kids. It was like a horror movie for kids. The way the book was like, this is fun, but also scary. Yeah. Even the like gory parts were still kind of cartoonish. Yeah. Like the guy that was fallen into pieces he was so rotten that it wasn't like blood and guts it was just like meat 
cold cold meat attaching itself. The creepiest one for me was the red room. Oh, just the big bloated creature. lady? Yeah. And just how her eyes were so well done. And I remember that. That's another one that wasn't in the first book. But I remember that drawing. Yeah, I've I've... I've never read it, but I know that drawing from like creepy pasta and stuff like that. Yeah, but and like it's so well done. Her design just r- reminded me of the mermaid from uh, Cabin in the Woods, where it's just bloated, smiling creature, mm. and then bites the guy and shoots blood out. But I don't know. Like for me, I'd never read the books before, and this just kind of felt like it was trying to be R slash No Sleep or creepypasta or something like that where it's like ooh what if you're in a hallway and a bloated woman walks towards you and then sucks you into her yeah but that's basically what the book is yeah <laughs> which is fair and that's most folklore but it's like I don't know I, they didn't really do much that was super creative I guess maybe I've just passively absorbed scary stories to tell in the dark over the time mm. do they have a guy who escapes an asylum and his hook gets caught in your car as you're kissing your honey that is one of them. Yep. So that's been in movies before. Yeah. I've watched a lot of Scooby-Doo and I'm, <laughs> and spending the night in a haunted mansion was definitely an episode of Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Or Recess or something. I watched a lot of TV as, ki- as a kid and I imagine most of the stories from dark stories or scary stories were featured there. Yeah. Because yeah. I do. I like the stories and they did a good job of bringing the creatures that the book had to life but I really didn't like the narrative that they made of Sarah Bellows and like how they tied the stories together yeah I really would have rather they did like an anthology version of the book just like okay act one here's the red room act two here's Harold act three here's so and so yeah and they could have even still had the kids be the kids reading the book or like telling the stories yeah and I think it's something that it ties in again with how the author is like now jump at your friend or whatever yeah as they're telling the stories to each other they could like describe one of the people in the circle and then when the story comes to life have that actor be in that story yeah oh and then Tommy (laughs) haha Tommy the local bully Yes, he gets killed by the scarecrow. Yeah, yeah, that would have been fun. The first day of the movie was set in Halloween. Just have them all go to the haunted house. This like this stranger who's out of town and her two friends and stuff like that. And then like she sits down. And it's like, ooh, I found this spooky book. Ooh. Let's read the stories. And then at the end of the movie, she like flips the book closed. And it's like, well, that's all for tonight. Yeah. And then if they wanted to have Sarah Bellows, then at the end, they could have a real ghost at the while the kids are leaving or something. Just have a jump. The, the, literally the jump scare at the end of every single trailer that we saw that. Yeah. By the time it came up, we're like, all right, I guess. Great. Cool. Your jump scare was there to resolve the problem. She had to scream through past and future to disable her stories, it I is guess. kind of interesting. Like the idea of people going through trauma and then letting their trauma turn them and like taint who they are as a person. But that screaming at the end was literally that like two panel comic where the guy's like frowning and then he just throws up his hands. And he's like, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They didn't do it very well. No. But, but I could feel... I think I understood what they were going for, but they did not achieve what they were going for. No. It's funny because it was literally when we started watching Chucky, what I thought the plot of Chucky was, was like this man was too angry to die and shoved his spirit into a Yeah, a yeah, doll. yeah, yeah. And it, but in Chucky, it was black magic. And then in this one, 
You think it's going to be black magic because there's the Baptiste family that was their house slaves. And they say, they mention it a few times. Yeah. And then it's like, nope, that was just a red herring. She really was too angry to die. They just needed to slip in the black magic stuff for reasons. And that's the thing. Like, they didn't even, ugh. If you're going to make a narrative, the narrative, ah, the narrative is so bad. Yes. They didn't even try. It's like, I can't even tell you what her story was, except her family kept her locked in a room. Her family poisoned the town with their paper mill somehow. They slipped mercury into the water accidentally. And she, who was already an outcast from the, the family because of her weird skin thing, was about to narc or whistle blow, whichever sounds better. And then they put her in a dungeon and beat her until she thought that the she had killed people. Then she started writing a book that her slave friend had given her. And that's her anger went into the book. And then I think that's the point when in the trailer they're like, if you'd say stories enough, they become true. Because then the town like started to t- tell rumors about her. Yeah. And so then the actual story she was writing became real and then she, But then she like she murdered children? I think she murdered her family first and then kids started hearing stories from her. Yeah. I, I don't know. And or she killed herself. Man, the fact that we just watched the Literally movie like an and, hour ago and can't recite it for our podcast is bad. Yeah. That's I agree with you. They should have just fucking had the kids sit down. Uh are you afraid of the dark style? Sit around a fire with literally just pull out the book, dark or yeah. scary stories to tell in the dark, and be like, ah, what's his name, Alex, Alex, Alec- oh, I don't remember. Yeah. it's not on the page. <laughs> this book that he wrote. Let's read some of these stories. Yeah. and then wiggle away. Because like the crux of this movie, or like the big selling point of this movie, is Guillermo del Toro's monster design. Mm, but it's not even his monster design, isn't it? Well, because they well, were, he like he based it off of his the, adapt monster adaptations. Yeah, yeah, because he's known for like he, his big sell in all his movies is his monster. Design. Oh yeah, okay. I don't, I didn't know him before this movie. Oh yeah, like uh, we watched Crimson Peak. Yeah, we, and he's all the in mon- that. Yeah, he, he worked he made on that. that. Um, Pan's Labyrinth is really one of his. Big oh ones. yeah, I've seen that. He designed all the monsters in Pacific Rim. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> hey. <laughs> He keeps like a sketchbook of monster designs. Oh, uh, uh, the like first trilogy of Hellboy. I never saw those. Yeah. So he like does really cool creatures. And I think he, from the pictures that I've seen of scary stories, like he adapted these monsters in a really interesting way. Yeah, they were. And like I said, that was my favorite part of the movie. Why they should have just done more of that and less of Sarah Bellows and the kids. It is kind of a shame that all of the monsters kind of boil down to slowly walking towards you. Uh like, yeah, because it was like creep, creep, bang most of the except for the the twisty guy that was scary. Fast, fastly walking towards him. Yeah, like Harold was in a the cornfield, slowly walking towards Tommy. The bloated woman was slowly walking towards I want to say Chuck. Chuck yeah. yeah, the corpse with the missing toe was slowly shambling towards Augie, and then the spiders. The that's spider, one. The spiders they did burst slowly. from her face. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. That was creepy, but that was, again, given away in the movie. Yeah. Now I'm just trying to think. I think most of Guillermo's monsters just slowly shamble towards people. But that is creepy. That is, is scary. It is creepy, but it also feels like a showcase to like show off your cool model that you made mm. or your cool prosthetic that you developed. They were so detailed. I, 
I know it's silly, but I keep going back to the white lady who's the bloated woman walking. Yeah. There was just something about her eyes. Like you felt her creepy. It was so creepy. The, her emotion of like being so happy and warm and just wanting to swallow you up. Just wanting to hug you and absorb you into her and body. Eat you, yeah. And the design of her like dress uh, being like Skin. shawl at the bottom and then slowly transitioning into just being yeah. a pair of flesh. Super cool. But also like the setup for her was that Chuck had a dream about her whispering in his ear that it's an evil place and he should get out. But then when she appears in real life, none of that premonition stuff really pops up. It's not in the first book. I read the first book before we saw the movie again, just to refresh myself. And it's not in that one. But I do know that it's that when it, the dream is in one of the novels. Okay. And that is her story. Mm. So I'm interested to see how that goes out. But I think if that goes with her, the mood and the emotion that was being shown when she was on screen was just like, I want to save you. Yeah. But really, I am going to kill you. That's fair. His but also feels like. I guess his and his sisters feels like the only ones that had any setup. All of the other ones, I guess Harold as well. So two of them felt like they didn't have setup. The toe one and yeah, the, that the, was out of the blue. And the jingle jangle man. Yeah, literally like as the thing is happening, the person's like, "Oh yeah, my mom used to tell me that story, yeah. and it scared me." And I'm like, "Okay, sure, I don't really care about that." They yeah. didn't even have to say that. Yeah, they could have just had the characters be dealing with this unknown. Exactly. And then, like, maybe even after they, like, find out that, oh, yeah, he had had this scary toe thing. Yeah. Because, like, in It, every character has, like, a fear at the beginning of the movie established, and then the clown, the clown takes plays on those. Yeah. Whereas this one's like, the jangle, man, what's that? Oh, yeah, I used to hear that in camp all of the time, and it scared me. Yeah. But it's also interesting that he keeps calling him a coward, and we know that that character avoided... uh the draft. He, he was a draft dodger. Yeah. I mean, I would want to live too. So. <laughs> I mean, it's also good that he's like more scared of the draft than he is of all of the racist people that are clearly trying to intimidate him. The beginning of the movie when we're dealing with the bully who's like plastered. He's a teenager who's a, like a young teenager. Yeah. The fact that he got that wasted and was that belligerently drunk with a baseball bat. Like, the drive-in scene was scary. I don't know if you've met any teenagers, but they can't generally hold their liquor, but tend to drink a lot. I guess that, yeah. But they're just, it felt so weird. And, like, none of his other friends were that drunk. No. Or interesting. He looked so drunk that he wouldn't be able to, like, because they show him really stumbling, more yeah. so than just, like, drunk stumbling. I think he was more drunk closer to his death than he was when he was chasing the kids. That's true. I guess I'm just commenting that his drunkness level was just so much higher than his friend's drunkness level. That's true. He actually looked more stoned when he was at the drive-in. Mm, that's true. Because he was like staring down... Uh, something with an R. Romano? Yes. Yeah, something like that. Um, He was like staring him down, but he was just like unblinking, staring at him in the face, sweating. And I'm like, are you high? Yeah. You look really high. And also because there was so much racism in this town, I was like, are you going to kill him? Yeah. Like, what is going to happen? Are you going to kill him? And then the police are going to cover it up. Yeah. Because that policeman, oh man. Oh, man. Also very racist. Yeah. But also so sad. After I'm... him because he was a draft dodger. And then a dumbass when the kids were like, hey, that book didn't have that story that you're just reading now. Tell us about it. And he's like, no, hold up. My dog's being weird. <laughs> Whose name is in it? 
Hold up, my dog's being weird. And then he finally says it. Yeah. It was weird. <laughs> weird all around. We're going to take a moment to talk about our sponsors and socials. Drinking and Screaming is made possible through the generous support of our patrons. Thanks to everyone who's currently a patron. An update for you, your stickers are now in the process of being printed. Wow! So they'll be sticky and bloody. I don't know why I said that. (laughs) Also, like I said, the money that you gave us helped pay for the whiskey for this drink this episode. So you're the true heroes. Thank you so much. Uh, the creme de cassis used in this episode is provided by Odd Society Spirits. It's a limited run of this signature blend, which I only found out by perusing their website today. So we're going to run out of blood. So we got to, yeah, get it while we can. Buy, buy that shit. It's made with black currants from Abbotsford. So that's cool. Gross. Our, our <laughs> lovely neighbors, the, the cow poop smelling area with their delicious black currants. And their site actually suggests to use it in white wine or champagne. As a little bit of pizzazz, and I would love a little champagne with some some creme de cassis in the bottom. Do you have white wine right now? No. No. I wish. But yeah, we use it for blood, so we're definitely going to need some more bottles. You can check out oddsocietyspirits.com for more information. Did you know donated creme de cassis lasts for 42 days? The blood. It does. Yeah, it's, it's a reference to a commercial that we saw that tells you that blood lasts for 42 days after donation. Please check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash drink and scream. We have some amazing rewards on there for helping us out on this journey, including bonus content and even a cocktail recipe book. You also get stickers, as we mentioned earlier. And get to tell us to watch things. Yeah, there's, there's a poll every month for what you want us to watch. Follow us. Instagram and Facebook at drink and scream. Twitter at drink underscore scream because Twitter is a dumb. Email drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. Make sure to rate us on iTunes since getting ranked there is a huge boost for new podcasts. I can't mention it enough. Also, damn, I forgot. I wanted to gather all our reviews because we have reviews that I did not know about. Because did you know that on iTunes they only show your reviews of the country that you're in and that the, that the reviewers were in when they listened and wrote about it? So there's like U.S. reviews, Canada reviews, Ireland reviews. We have like eight reviews. Now, are the Irish reviews written like Irish people write things? Well, an Irish person would have written them, so yeah. Nah, it's got to be like Irish Twitter. What is Irish Twitter? Oh, I will show you. (laughs) (laughs) So we have two United States reviews. I'm pretty sure they're from people that we don't know, but if we do know you... High roll cast and funkin' waggus. Nice. Funk, funkin' <laughs> waggles? Sure. Then thank you for these reviews. Number one, five stars. Made horror movies more fun. I'm not a fan of most horror movies, more specifically modern jump scare fests, but I thoroughly enjoyed the first few episodes and will definitely be tuning in to every release. The hosts are charismatic as hell, all caps. Thanks so much. The drinks so far sound delicious, and although I'm not a big horror fan, the movies reviewed so far are ones that are something I'd enjoy to some degree, or have loved in the case of the classic Child's Play. But seriously, go listen to this one. You will not regret it. I love that people are listening to our podcast and are like, fuck, I hate horror movies. (laughs) (laughs) But he still liked it, even though he doesn't like horror, or they still liked it, even though they don't like horror movies. I don't drink, and I hate horror movies. 
I mean, then you really shouldn't listen to us, but do whatever floats your boat. Review number two, Funkin' Waggles says, five stars, it's a spooky good time. I listen to a lot of podcasts, around 40 a week, and this has moved to the list of shows I listen to as soon as it drops. Man, thank 40. you. 40, jeez. The hosts are fun, the drinks sound good, and the trivia is interesting. So thank you so much for reviewing us. If you want a chance to be having, having a shout out given to you, just write us a little review. Rate and review us on iTunes, please. Yeah, it'll definitely help us. Also, come join us on Discord. Right now, we are cozying up on our partner, Super Hopped Up. I say partner, but I also run it. Uh, so go- check out bit.ly slash hopped up discord. And if you're a patron, you get a special color of blood, Woo, as, blood. Your, as your discord color. And everyone will know that you're awesome. Hell yeah. Now listen to this ad from Featured Creatures, a friend of the podcast. Hey, this is Featured Creatures. We're a podcast about cryptids and other monsters like Tengu, Boromet, Kiki Aoun, Owlman, Batsquatch, Hippos, Organism 46B, and more hippos. We do talk a lot about hippos. You can find us on any podcatcher, iTunes, or Spotify. And remember, all you need to do to be a cryptozoologist is to say you're a cryptozoologist. Are you ready for some fun facts? I haven't done my section. Oh, I thought they came up while we were talking. Sorry. Um, no, I wanted to specifically talk about, like, we talked about the story construction of the movie, but I feel also like dissecting how the cinematography and scene composition mm. was done in this movie also will make it seem bad. Because <laughs> they definitely relied very heavily on like the quiet, quiet bang methodology of a yeah, scary movie. For sure. like, uh, there was a few standout shots, um, namely when Toe Kid is hiding under his bed. I feel like they did a really good job of hiding corners of the room that you haven't checked yet and making the viewer very worried when they finally reveal that area of the room. Yeah. Because they show like the door, then they show him check like left, check right, check behind him. And, and he I has think, to check on top of the bed. Yeah. And they did a really good job of like making sure that any shot that they're doing doesn't give away too much information. It's interesting that you feel that way because it, it is true, but I felt like that moment specifically, they took so long. Oh yeah. They were hamming it up. That it like, it, but it was so long that it ruined the boo. <laughs> I mean, the boo was also ruined because they cut to like an unestablished area of the room. Mm. Like it was, they cut to the back of his bed underneath it where hands were coming out. And you, for a split second, you're like, what, where the fuck is that? And then he gets dragged under and you're just like, oh, I guess she grabbed his legs and pulled him. But also he was so far back against the wall that basically she was in an area of the room that wasn't even there. Yeah, he got, it was like a, he got sucked a into area. hammer space. Yeah. Up until that moment, I thought they did a good job. Mm. I also thought that the corn maze or the cornfields with Harold was shot very well because it takes you a while to realize that he's he's not lost because he's drunk, but he's lost because the book keeps teleporting him back to mm-hmm. Harold. Considering it's the first time we're actually seeing one of the stories happen, I think they did a really good uh, job of disorienting you. Every shot is done in such a way that you can't see the house or you can't see any establishing. Yeah. And you feel like you're stuck in this corn maze. And then he runs out and his house is there, but it's too late because he already got stabbed. And And also that creature is very interesting. Like seeing him slowly become Harold himself. Yeah. Was cool. And like the the haze coming out of his mouth and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That was probably the more interesting one. Too bad it was the first one. Um, It made you excited for the rest of the disappointment. Yeah. It really got me super hard. And then 
<laughs> didn't do anything with it. Then the other shot that I, I liked was the bloated woman because it did a good job of making you feel claustrophobic as he tries every corridor only to find that she's at the end of it. And sh- you can see that she's just slowly moving towards him. Yeah. So he has to make a decision as to what he's going to do, but then it eventually it's too late. I also like that they showed like this hallway. No, she's there. This hallway. No, she's there. This hallway. No, she's there. This hallway. <gasps> she's not there. Run, 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 run. She's there. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. They even did a first person point where he got to a fork in the road and he's like, going to go right. Nope, she's there. Going to go left. Oh, she's there too. Yeah. Although when you think about it, it's kind of weird because finally when he she grabs him, it just jumps back to one of them. Mm-hmm. So it was weird that it made you think it was a horde of them only to then make you realize it's just the one. It I felt like it was the one the whole time. But she was teleporting yeah, to where? Yeah, like there was no escape. That's fair. But I think there was literally a shot with multiple versions of her. You could kind of see that. There was like spinning shots. Yeah, but I think there was actually like an angle where you could see two at two? the same time. Maybe. I would have to watch it again. Regardless, those were my favorite. Only... yeah. Then finally they get into like the action shots and I feel like that's where the movie kind of fell apart Mm. was like when the jangle man was chasing him and uh, she was running through the haunted house and stuff. Like all those shots were kind of just standard. Everything felt standard and cookie cutter, which is sad because like you have the cool monster designs, but then you waste it by having bad cinematography. I got to the end of my drink. Is there a bunch of orange slices? Yeah. I have I a lot of really zest at the bottom. I'm really not a fan. No. no. I stopped drinking mine after a while. There's way too much zest at the bottom. <laughs> maybe it's supposed to stay in the cream and you eat it. I don't know. Fuck that one up. Or maybe I just put too much zest in it. I did like the orange flavor. And I would see like eating the cream fast enough that it doesn't melt into the drink. And then it wouldn't be as weird to eat the cream with the orange zest. Yeah. It's just got too zesty. Woo! Too zesty for me. But yeah, I think just the after some of those shots, the movie kind of deteriorates after a while. Just turns into a roller coaster ride. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, most horror movies do that. Like they reach a point of no return and then it's just go, go, go. But this, it didn't even feel like it earned it. Yeah, I think I went in expecting more Guillermo, Guillermo, and less whoever the other director was. Because his movies are normally very slow and methodical and mm. they're more earned fear. Whereas this one was like, and a monster and it's chasing you and now you're whatever. Yeah. It just felt more like a summer thing. A summery thing. A summer flick. A summer flick. For the tweens. Ah, for them, them tweens who are really interested in Richard Nixon and his electoral process. I wasn't a fan of that. <laughs> I thought it was it, time setter. Yeah, it's like, it was neat that they tried to make you afraid of the kids being drafted in a time when war is about to happen, probably. Yeah. And it's like, hey, remember Nom and how pointless that was? Because when the first kid becomes the scarecrow, they even have a moment of like, well, he wanted to go to war. He just, at the beginning of the movie, he had signed up to, yeah. at the recruitment he was office. super stoked to shoot some So people. I guess he left early. I don't know. It was a, it was a definitely a time setter. That's true. I didn't realize that Nixon got elected so close to Halloween. I don't know when the American election happens until it starts happening. I don't really have anything to say about that because I don't know either. I'm excited for the end of the season when Bernie is president. Yay, Bernie! <laughs> Man, it's gonna be so sad when we listen to that. But it's not him. Yeah, we'll 
remember this clip. I it, still can't believe when we were we were at an election party and we're like, haha, there's no way Trump will be elected. Oh my god, the world the, is ending. We should do a bonus episode of the 2016 election. <sighs> yeah. True horror. True horror. All right, give me them facts now. You ready for some fun facts? I am. Ooh. So for those of you who don't know, every time Kelly and I watch a horror movie, we love to snuggle on up in our toasty warm bed and read some fun, fun facts to each other. Usually it's from IMDb. Scary facts to tell in the dark. (laughs) (laughs) This movie just came out, so I had to really try and scrounge. This is like the hardest. I thought other times that I did the recent movies and finding fun facts would be hard. This was definitely the most difficult. I mean, we've got you as an expert. Most of our new movies we've had an expert on like midsummer we had a norwegian expert it's true so you're the s- scary stories to tell in the dark expert i like to p- think i provided some insight on the book i'm not an expert on anything Meh. if we watched are you afraid of the dark you can be the expert on silent hill oh yeah that's true let me tell you about the movie's game design <laughs> anyways go ahead so first fun fact very obvious Based on the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark book series published in the 1980s, written by Alvin Schwartz and illustrated by Stephen Gamel. Whoa. Whoa, this was a book? It was. Written by Sarah Bellows? Yep. Nice. (laughs) How many kids died in the making of this book? Many. Cool. No, I don't think any. (laughs) But the poster art is based on the story Harold, which was the name of the Scarecrow in the movie. But he's actually in the third book. Not the first one, which is actually called Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Yeah, I hate when they pick and choose for the scariest thing to put in there. Yeah, it's silly. I was going to make a reference to Silent Hill Revelations, which I believe is the name of the second Silent Hill movie, but I've erased it from my mind. And they more or less do the same thing where it's like, who's a poster child for this thing? Let's pick the one guy that looks cool from our story. Yeah, that's right. It's pretty common. Yeah. Fact number three, co-stars of Fist Fight... Austin Zadger, who played the uh, character Chuck, and Dean Norris, the dad of this movie, a.k.a. the Breaking Bad uh, brother-in-law, they appear in this movie also. Is Fist Fight that one where two guys are going to have a fist fight and then they plan their fist fight for a long time? I don't know. I haven't seen the movie. I think I saw the trailer for it, and it was like a short guy. I want to say Kevin Hart, but I'm not too sure. Oh, yeah, it didn't look good. Meh. So it's great that these two actors get to act again. I never really are in the same scene. So I was like, why is this a fun fact? But I'm so desperate for fun facts that I included it. Next one, moving on. The budget was an estimated $28 million, which is one of the higher ones we've seen. But I guess it's for all the creature design and stuff. Yeah. But as of recording this, they're still during their opening weekend. So I can't tell you how much they've made. Maybe we'll follow up or won't. Whatever. Meh. Last but not least, filmed in Toronto, it's a combined Canadian and American production. Which is funny because there was a lot of shots that looked like Vancouver. So I was like, eh, they probably recorded it in Vancouver. Mm. There's a lot of like streets that I recognized from Burnaby, but I guess I didn't. You did not. They I were from Toronto. Them from my dreams from. when I was in Toronto. Whoa. But since I literally only have like five fun facts, I have a story to tell you. Ooh. Tell me a story, Sarah Bellows. So this is called May I Carry Your Basket? And it's from the book, just so you know. I did not make this story. That'd be cool. That'd be a lot of work for the podcast. (laughs) 
Sam Lewis spent the evening playing chess at his friend's house. It was about midnight when they finished their game and he started home. Outside it was icy cold and as quiet as the grave. As he came around a turn in the road, he was surprised to see a woman walking ahead of him. She was carrying a basket covered with a white cloth. When he caught up to her, he looked to see who it was, but she was so bundled up against the cold it was hard to see her face. Good evening, said Sam. What brings you out so late? But she didn't answer. Then he said, may I carry your basket? She handed it to him. From under the cloth, a small voice said, that's very nice of you. And that was followed by wild laughter. Sam was so startled that he dropped the basket and out rolled a woman's head. He looked at the head and he stared at the woman. It's her head, he cried. And he started to run and the woman and her head began to chase him. Soon the head caught up to him. It bounded into the air and sunk its teeth into his left leg. Sam screamed with pain and ran faster. But the woman and her head stayed right behind. Soon the head leaped into the air again and bit into his other leg. Then they were gone. That's the end. I have a couple questions. All right. A, how did he know that it was the woman's head? I think she didn't have a head, I think is the reveal. Oh, all right. Two. <laughs> How the head catch up with him? It bounced. It bounded. <laughs> we I'm sorry. The head leaped. It okay. leaped. We saw the jangle man's head and he had to like open his mouth and scream and close it again to like slowly move his like. Yeah. Like a slug towards his own body. And he had his little hand doing a little push help a bit. Yeah. Too. But yeah, this one was just a head separated from the lady. Just fucking teleporting to Sam's leg. Yeah. Most of the awesome or my favorite ones are the like creep creep bang ones okay so i didn't want to have a creep creep bang and i wanted to include a story that wasn't featured in the films at all i was kind of hoping you would say the wendigo but you said that that one was very long yeah that story is interesting though because it's basically about a man who wants to go hunting so he hires an aboriginal person who knows the trails even though everyone else is too scared to go up there and then it's a different Wendigo story than I've ever heard. But basically, when they're sleeping at night, they hear someone outside calling to them. They get very scared and it comes, it comes closer and closer and closer and closer. And eventually, the man who was leading the hunter runs out of the tent and just runs away because he's so terrified. The hunter stays in the tent the whole night alone. And then when he leaves it that morning, he follows the footprints and eventually they lead to nothing. And he's very confused, and he gets back to town, and he's asking about it. Nobody knows where that hunt, that uh, Aboriginal man went. He's been dead for 10 years. And it turns out that the Wendigo is a creature that makes you run so much that eventually your legs like burn away because you're running so fast. Nice. Um, and then it grabs you, and you fly into the air. Huh. It's crazy. Uh, interesting. Yeah. I'm but gl- it's also, it's told much better than that very I'm, short I mean, I'm summary. Glad, I'm glad you read this weird one with a severed head that bounced towards him. Yes. And catches up with him before and the body does. Tears his legs. Oh, yeah. no. But then disappears. So he's fine. <laughs> yeah. And then they're gone. That's it. Um, interesting. I wonder how many of these stories we'll see in scary stories to tell at the darker. Yeah. I think that's, it's like scary Stories, scarier stories, scariest stories, I think is how that goes. So he didn't want to make a fourth one? Because he, he, unless it's like even more scariest. Yeah. Much more scariest. Scarierest. 
I've, yeah. I've got the books of um, All My Friends Are Dead. And oh, yeah. It's All My Friends Are Dead, and then All My Friends Are Still Dead. Nice. So there's room for another one. Yeah, All My Friends Are Dead Again. All My Friends <laughs> Came to Life and Then Died Once More. Yeah. I don't think there's a third one, but I can't remember. I've never actually checked. And they're also not scary, so I don't know why I'm bringing them up now. <laughs> you were too spooked. You have to think of some lighthearted, fun stories to tell. I gotta think of something fun. <laughs> Are you ready for some final thoughts? I am. My thoughts are finally here. Oh, man. I really wanted to like this more than I ended up liking it. And I feel like it would have been better as an audio drama. Ooh. Because then it it brings the the idea that the author wanted of, of like people can think of scarier things than you can ever describe if you just let them do it. Yeah, that severed head rolling towards that kid's legs was terrifying in my Shut mind. Out. <laughs> Shut out. <laughs> but yeah, or the idea of having the kids tell the stories in a circle. Yeah. Like the anthology style, I think is better than the Sarah Bellows narrative. So I'm a bit disappointed. Honestly, it was pretty mad. I think this is my, I want to say it's my least favorite that we've seen, I think. Yeah, and I don't even think that it was just you hyped it up too much. Like we wanted to go to an early screening and you were like very excited because you'd read the books and we saw Guillermo talk about when it comes out. Yeah. The, the, that weird trailer. That was such a bad ad. Oh my God. Comes out August 8th. 8th. Thanks. You have to look it up because. Or August 9th. There's no. Yeah. I can't even remember now. There's no way to give it that terrible ad justice. So good. <laughs> it was so bad. It wasn't even like a. ESL problem. It was just Guillermo being really weird. Yeah. Um, what about, what do you think? Yeah, my overall thoughts were just that it was not, it was an only okay horror movie. A lot of these ones that we've gone to theaters to see, it's really enjoyable to be in a group setting when it's jump scares or it's creeping and stuff like that. Because we saw Annabelle and we saw Child's Play in theaters. And yeah, like, but both of those were more successful, I think, in that role. Yeah, exactly, which is why I'm saying like it was really cool in those movies to have people, all, everyone scream or like everyone's like, oh, oh no. Yeah, for sure. But in this one, everyone was pretty chill. There was once in a while people would scream, literally in like the first, not even a jump scare, in the first like cut that was sort of a jump scare, someone screamed in the begin in the front of the theater. And that made everyone laugh. Yeah, that was we good. laughed at it. That was the best moment. <laughs> but other than that, I think the couple next to me, the uh, the girlfriend was kind of like, ah, once in a while, but it wasn't anything to phone home about. It didn't feel like a summer jump scare horror movie, even though it was trying to be that. Nah. And once you get a clear shot of a lot of the monsters, I was kind of like, yeah, that's interesting, but not scary. And the only time that it was a jump scare, or the only time that it was scary was when it was a jump scare. Like, yeah. And you hear its face, and you're like, oh, oh, okay. The end. That's it. Yeah. The bloated woman was maybe the scariest one and that's only because it was just a creepy looking person like the the toe corpse wasn't creepy even the jangle man was yeah. just kind of he kind of looked like a liquor from resident evil he just kind of snapped and crawled a lot seeing him like twist his body to be able to get through th different scenarios was interesting and scary he did a good job of being like the fast I mean, he was like the climax of the movie, basically. Yeah. Or leading up to the climax. Supposed to be the big action. But even then, like, people got over it pretty quickly. Yeah. It wasn't enough. Like, in Annabelle, in Annabelle, in <laughs> Annabelle, there were so many creeping horror moments that the whole audience felt like they were on pins and needles the entire time. This one, it just felt like people were chill. And I think if you can't make a horror movie 
that makes the audience at least collectively feel on edge, then why why did you make a horror movie? Yeah. It's like I actually read a research study that most theater goers, like if you go to see a play, the collective audience has their heartbeat start to match in, temp- in rhythm, just which like- is crazy. But this did not happen in this movie. <laughs> yeah. People, we're all out of sync. Everyone was like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. So I agree. It was an okay constructed movie with an overarching plot that we got confused about after a while. Yeah. I think my favorite part of the movie was the romance between the main character, the, uh, what's her name? Stella and the draft dodger guy. Yeah. Because she was like a nerdy girl that didn't have to take off her glasses and let her hair down to get the guy. She was just this sort of horror movie buff writer nerd girl that the guy liked for who she was. And he liked her like immediately. Yeah. It was nice. And yeah. he had similar interests as and her. And they had no awkward forced kiss moment. Exactly. Like that. Love the little tween romance. Yeah. So that was probably my favorite part was that this this fun horror goof got the man. As yeah. long as he doesn't die in Nam, which let's be honest, he probably will. <laughs> I like the parallel of uh, Sarah Bellows and Stella and being like alienated from the town and feeling alone because her Stella's mom left her and her dad's basically kind of left her by working so much. Mm-hmm. So it's into I feel like they're and she's a writer and Stella and uh, Sarah Bellows is writing these stories. So I really felt that parallel. I think that was kind of done well. Yeah. But again, I just didn't like the Sarah Bellows narrative. Didn't so. like the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so many different people to be. It's well, that's been Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, a movie about ghost stories, facing your fears, and also being a coward. Unless you're in the theater, in which case, you could have been a coward, and it was fine. <laughs> Next week, we'll be watching our patron-selected movie, The Gift, from 2015. Is that the Netflix one that you saw once? I watched it on Netflix, but I don't think it's a Netflix original. Okay. And remember, always scream responsibly. Ah, bye. That scream wasn't genuine because it wasn't scary. <laughs> <laughs>